Sports Station, 1043 The Fan presents the Honorable Judge Dan Jacobs. A texter. It's a little bit long-winded, but I want to get to it because it's uh, we encourage discussion here in the program. It says, how can you say Sean Payton's proven, and that's in all caps, proven track record of developing, elevating, and maximizing QB's talents and skill sets? See Drew Brees and Tony Romo's isn't plausible enough to re- uh, rehabilitate Russell Wilson. Clearly, he has exactly what it takes to get Russ back on his Hall of Fame trajectory and all-pro talent prior to last season. You can't say we haven't begun to see anything tangible from Jerry Judy, Corlin Sutton, and Tim Patrick, considering they had no consistency, all caps, from the QP position since they've been here and haven't gotten a consistent target volume to evaluate their talent and production. Can't judge them until they have stability at the QP position and they just... Uh, which they just got with Russell Wilson. One year is not a, quote, valid sample size, all caps, to evaluate or judge anyone in the workforce, let alone a professional sports with the franchise athletes as Blake. Uh, One year is by far enough uh, of a sample size to evaluate a lot of people in professions, Um, a lot of workforces. Now, you you can make the argument that it might apply to professional sports, but people get evaluated on their sample size of a year of a season every single year. And in fact, that was one of, it was funny. They were going to give when, when people, when, when, when Sean, uh, George Payton was kind of the flavor of the month around here and he could do no wrong. Everybody was like, well, it's okay. When he, when he was, and this is this is what was problematic with this hire to me. You've heard me say this time and time again. When you're going to be put in charge, which he's no longer, he's been relieved of these duties. But what what we were being told was, okay, Elway had to step aside. He was he was being promoted up into the job he already had, so to speak, and that the problem with the Broncos, which was true, was operationally. Culturally, everything from the top on down was a poison pill. And they had just gone off the rails. And that was why they were one of the worst franchises, uh, worst one-run franchises in the league. But George Payton, he's the new GM. He's going to come in. He's a professional. He's waited his entire career to get this opportunity. Now, my problem was they made decisions for him and that uh, typically he would be allowed to assess, namely the head coach. Most GMs that are alphas, so to speak, that are up to the task are are going to want to have complete freedom and autonomy to do their job. I.e., if you want me to run this franchise, if you want me to evaluate this franchise and get it on track, I can't do it with one hand tied behind my back. But in this instance, they already said, well, we're, we're running this back with Vic Fangio no matter what. And if you're not okay with it, then you're not our guy. And he was like, okay, well, then I can be your guy. And even like Mark Schlereth, for example, justified that, saying, well, really taking a year and just getting your feet wet, so to speak, is a pretty smart idea. And I'm thinking, excuse me? An entire, taking an entire season, an entire year 
of your product of this four to five billion dollar organization and just saying, eh, let me just see how things go and then I'll start doing some things. And then, by the way, the things you're going to do are, you know, hiring Coach Hackett and not doing your, your work on Russell Wilson, highly problematic. So I don't agree with the premise that uh, one year is not a valid sample size to judge anyone, all caps, in the workplace, because there's a lot of workplaces where I, I, I need two days, not one year, to evaluate people. I don't need a year to evaluate every single person in any workforce. Um, and professional sports, there are, did, did you need more than a year to evaluate Case Keenum, whether or not he was going to work here? Did you need more than a year to evaluate Joe Flacco and whether or not he was, wasn't going to work here? Uh, Dale Carter, do we need more than a year? Dale Gardner, did we, I mean, there are lots of athletes that we know are not going to work out here prior to a year expiring. But to, to unpack this tweet, and thank you, Blake, for um, texting in. It's well thought out. I don't agree with all of it. First off, um, when you say, how can you say Sean Payton's proven track record um, isn't plausible enough to rehabilitate Russell Wilson? I never said that. What I'm saying is all of a sudden the media lemmings are jumping in, <clears throat> just predicting this. And they, you're fine. You can predict it. I'm just saying it's all nothing but hopes and rainbows. Right? We don't know. What we do know is we, we thought we were getting a Russell Wilson. is something we were not getting. And we want to hope, we want to believe that Russell Wilson is going to be better. But here's my thing. <clears throat> I, I was one of the few guys that was Sean Payton all the way. I, I do believe in Sean Payton. I think they will get more out of Russell Wilson. I don't think he will be as bad. But... If you're to believe, like, for example, what Pete Carroll was saying was, we covered up for him a lot over the last several seasons. Like, a lot. Like, he's nowhere near as good as what we as we made him look in Russell Wilson. And I saw things. I was one of the, like, like I was, I mean, I've owned up to this. Like, I was one of the last because I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, Blake. I was trying to be like you. Like, I don't want to be reactionary. Right, like the offensive line play was so bad early in the year. I mean, it was throughout the year, but initially, I wanted to blame it on them, or I wanted to blame it on he didn't have enough talent. But if you watched him long enough last year, you started to see that he was no longer making plays that he would have made that he did make earlier in his career. You have seen a drop off in. His play, or we saw it last year. Do I think he can be better? Yeah, I think he can be better. But what if he is in his decline now? I don't know what Sean Payton can do. I think he can help minimize the decline. But this is not the same thing, by the way, as Drew Brees. Right? Like, Drew Brees was good. He was just coming off an injury. Drew Brees was really good in San Diego. And they were just worried, well, I think it was his shoulder, right? Well, can he get his shoulder back? And it turns out all those fears were unfounded. He came back and was a picture of durability for the next, I don't know, how many years did he play? 10 years after that? 12 years? Like, it was not an issue. Nick Saban with the Dolphins, 
wasn't willing to take that gamble. And he flamed out after one year as a coach of the Dolphins. Sean Payton, brand new coach in New Orleans, was willing to take that gamble, and it paid off for the Super Bowl in short order thereafter. And they went from, what, I think five wins to 13 wins that year. But that was a prime Drew Brees that just as a fluke in the marketplace, people had, you know, uh, they were scared. The buyer's market for him was, was not as good as it should have been because people were worried about the injuries. Right. We're talking about something different here. What we're talking about with Russell Wilson is we have evidence to suggest that even though he worked as hard as he could have last year, and by the way, Aaron Rodgers is happy as a clam to be going and f- working with Coach Hackett back in New York. I don't, do I believe that Coach Hackett was completely overmatched? As a head coach, yes. Do I think he didn't know what he was doing? As an offensive coordinator, well, it didn't work out, obviously, but do I think he wasn't trying to do, and that Russell Wilson, they weren't trying to figure out the best things for Russell Wilson to run the offense? I mean, do I think they had no idea what they were doing? That is an overly simplistic approach, right? Because before that, it was all Pat Shermer's fault, too. Oh, Pat Shermer just has no idea what he's doing, even though he was a two- or three-time NFL head coach, had run successful offenses before. But all of a sudden, he's just a, a complete moron idiot, and he can't get he, – he has no idea what to do. And it, did he have some – I'm not defending Pat Shermer, but it can't all be on him. Before that, it was going to be the Bill Musgrave offense. We, we've heard all these things, these offensive coordinators that were going to be gurus, and then when they don't pan out, then we vilify them. But what's consistent? The talent level. And the other part of this tweet is, you can't say we haven't begun to see anything tangible from, and I didn't say that either. I said towards the end of the season, we did start to see some things from Jerry Judy. Some things. But we've seen nothing, not nearly enough to suggest that he's going to be this 1,500-yard, 12- to 15-touchdown, 18-touchdown juggernaut that we've been promised all these years. And Tim Patrick, he's been the best of the bunch. I was the guy. When you when guys like James Merlat and other people on the station were like, we should draft Jerry Judy. We have to. Otherwise, what do we have at wide receiver? And I was saying, you guys are sleeping on Tim Patrick. And Tim Patrick, over the course of the next two seasons, became their best wide receiver by far. I was the guy saying, I told you so. But he's... He also is not a 15, 12 to 13 to 1,500 yard, 12 to 15 touchdown guy this year. It's asking a lot. Oh, all of a sudden, after he couldn't get out of the nicest coach in the world's doghouse, Albert O was just all of a sudden going to be Jimmy Graham. And J- Greg Dolchich, Dolchich, who has had injury problems all along, is all of a sudden just going to become Travis Kelsey. And stay healthy the whole, whole whole career. It's crazy. Somebody was saying, okay, what was your plan for the QB? Like, how would you have done better, Dan? I've admitted. I thought Russell Wilson was going to be better. Now, is it my job to evaluate this guy as much as Sean Payton should have evaluated this guy? That apparently, supposedly, Matt LaFleur 
in Green Bay would have been more than happy to pick up the phone and speak with Coach Hackett. Or excuse me, not Hackett. Who was the other guy? Um, uh, Coach Payton. Or not Coach Payton. GM Payton and say, dude, you got damaged goods here? There were there supposedly were other coaches that knew from the from the NFC that knew that Russell Wilson was in a decline that had been masked by the Seahawks. And that the Broncos were getting fleeced. But Sean Payton, if you believe the reporting, not Sean Payton, George Payton, if you believe the reporting, didn't do his due diligence. I was wrong on it. But I my opinion doesn't cost the Broncos nearly as much as George Payton's does. And he missed on it terribly badly. And by the way, also on your text, I'm admitting I'm wrong. But what I'm saying I'm admitting I'm wrong, I'm what I'm saying is I didn't want to be wrong, and I held on to that belief in Russell Wilson for longer than most until I was just taking a look at it with my eyes and saying, I can't make excuses for this him anymore. This is clearly a Russell Wilson issue. This this is him not even making plays that he's been comfortable making his entire career. Like, for example, rolling out, I believe it was in the Rams game, I think was one of the huge ones, right? Like rolling out, his man has Ramsey beaten on a step, and he just can't pull the trigger, and a guy that was wide open is no longer wide open, and instead of being a wide open touchdown, it's a bad interception. Like, And and this is prime Russell Wilson, like, all right, it was a... Play fake, boot to your right, see the guy wide open. The guy's got three steps, but by the time now, whereas before, Russell would have fired that down there for the easy touchdown and it was a bit of, would have been a highlight play we would have seen nationally. Now what we saw was he was late. He wasn't pulling the trigger. And that was a situation where Russell Wilson was put in a position to do something that he had always done well and he was no longer able to do it. So this isn't a not about me saying I wasn't on board with it because I was on board with it. We were all on board with it. Chad Brown says he wasn't. Most everybody else was on board when this trade went down. Problem is it was George Payton's job to do his due diligence. He missed badly, and then he panicked and handed out a potentially franchise-crippling contract to Russell Wilson if Sean Payton can't come in here and resurrect this guy. I have confidence that he's going to make him better I just have, I have my doubts. I need to see it. Much like we talked about with Michael Malone, I said, I got to see it this year. I'm not going to pan him. He did a good job during the injury years. Now is his chance. I got to see it. I'm just not going to proclaim it like my, you know, James's pinned tweet on his Twitter is, you guys are, it's something along the lines of, you guys will be laughing when he comes back this year. We'll be happy. We'll be happy, but I'm just saying, I, I need to see it because I saw some worrisome signs of decline that are more than just, oh, Coach Hackett had no idea how to run an offense, which I think is an overly simplistic view of what went wrong here in Denver last year. It was a roster problem. It was a coaching problem. It was a Russell problem. And two of those three things are still here. The roster and Russell are still here. Coaching is different. How much better is that? Going to make it? I'm not sure. All right, a couple hours ago when we first started the program, for those of you that did not get a chance to hear it, we had a very nice, very nice visit with Matt Smith. Sometimes he and I, you know, we go back and forth. We're very fiery. Matt has just been on very good behavior recently, but I thought we had a very nice conversation. He really uh, brought some strong 
opinions, by the way, on the, uh, the latest move by the Colorado Avalanche. We will revisit uh, the conversation with Matt Smith coming up next. Taking a break from laying down the law in the courtroom to lay down the law in the sports world. Here's Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station, 1043 The Fan. Remember when it was September, love was changing. We go out to the Ramos. Well, what is the, uh, is the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline? I don't remember. Matt, what is it? Go out to the hotline, Matt. You, you're over here hosting all the time. Big shot, hosting the drive yesterday. How are you? I'm good, Dan. How you doing this morning, bud? It is the Johnson Auto Plaza Hotline. Well, there you that go. Is where, that is where I'm joining you today. Well, fantastic. Thank you for being here. Of uh, course. Of course. Now, you have some Italian heritage, do you not? No. No? You act like, a, like an Italian. I thought you said you did. <laughs> no. No, dude. No. I, no Italian heritage for me. I feel like one of those uh, interviews on Johnny Carson or Dave, uh, David Letterman that just start off not going well. It's like... It's, no, no, no. I love it. You're doing great. Keep going. Yes, Exactly. Well, because we had talked about the uh, – the because you're from Chicago. Yes, sir. And we had talked about the Chicago pizza, and you were basically agreeing with James Merrillat, which you agreed with him on something else, but you got a hall pass for, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, okay. Because I was looking to the drive yesterday. But um, Dante brings up a quite controversial food take in that uh, no – the only proper lasagna is the frozen, like, uh, Stouffer's kind. You don't get Italian – you don't go to an Italian restaurant and order lasagna – I can't imagine this is a topic that you want to remain silent on, Mr. Smith. Yeah, you know, I think he's on something there. I mean, if you're going if you're going to get Italian food, where does lasagna fall in the rankings? Like, I feel like lasagna is more of a home cooked meal thing. That's not something that you are you're going out. So, so I'll push back on him in the fact that I think there are other lasagnas outside of just frozen lasagna. <laughs> right. But I will agree with him in that I don't think it's something that I would ever order at a restaurant. Yeah. Um... No, well, the one in Roma's, uh, there's a restaurant in, in um, Greeley where my you know, beautiful firstborn daughter is going to school right now. Oh, it's the best thing on the menu by far, and it's a great place. It's a great authentic okay. Italian place. I, look, I mean, you are a, a food connoisseur. I'll take your word for it. I just I just think that, like, if, if we're talking about something that I would want to order off a restaurant menu, I don't think it would be lasagna. Yeah, no, I mean that's uh you know if you're you know living living in living in fear, I guess you too. I guess I guess so, Dan. I guess <laughs> so. Or I'm just you know a little gnocchi sounds great to me. You know, I mean you can't go wrong with the wood fired pizza. Maybe some angel hair, some meatballs. I mean it's Italian food. You can never really go wrong with Italian food. It's all fantastic. I was the, the whole reason we're talking about it was my wife and I instead of say you know we had our twenty second wedding anniversary on the twenty second. And we said, you know, we're going to get out of our comfort zone. We're going to get out of the suburbs. We went to, you know, for some authentic North Denver Italian food. So we we're very proud North of ourselves. Denver, hold on. Didn't you just say this place is in Greeley? No, no, the other place that has oh, a really oh, good oh, lasagna. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, now I see. Now I see. Yeah, okay, the place. Uh-huh. Yeah, the place we went to in North Denver. Unfortunately, we we thought the food was a little bit hit or miss. I had something fantastic. Her lasagna was left a you know a little something to be desired. It was a little hit or miss, but we were proud of ourselves for getting out of the suburbs. Yeah, I mean, that's Colorado food in general for you. So I don't know what to tell you. Oh, yeah, big Chicago snob coming in. Fancy. Yep, yep. This, that is the one snobbish thing that I will really flex a muscle on is that the food is just, I mean, you can't even compare it. But it's all right. I still love you, Colorado. Yeah. I wouldn't leave you for anything in the world. 
So I was listening to you yesterday. You're doing a great job. And I yeah. thought it was funny, though, um, because, I don't know, what was it, three, four months ago, I was listening to you and Kyle Reese. You do a great job, 8 to 10 Sunday mornings here on the station. And you guys were talking about Bentleys and Mercedes. These, there are certain cars you have that, you know, if you're going to drive them, you're going to be paying for maintenance and you got to have yeah. a good mechanic and all this stuff. And, by the way, I, I had no idea Bentleys were like that. I knew certain cars were. Yeah. But you're one it's of those Rolls-Royce, Dan. Will you get it right? Yes. Well, do Rolls are Rolls-Royces are like that as well? They fall apart? I imagine that all cars that cost a, a lot of money are not cheap to fix. So it's, as it turns out, as the story goes, you are one of these, you know, highfalutin baller guys that drives one of these luxury vehicles, and you're on the show yesterday <laughs> griping the exact opposite of what you're talking about a month or three months ago about how you don't have a good mechanic, you got jobbed over by your mechanic. I, I guess did. they're just resetting every time you're going in there. They were just like... Oh yeah, just flip the button, the 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 button under the yeah. dash, reset his uh, oh. engine light for him. Oh, I, I just why wouldn't you tell me that before I brought the car in? I, I needed, I knew I needed an oil change, but I also had a check engine light, and I said, all right, so you get both of those. And who who doesn't tell you that they don't have the schematics to to, to uh, uh, check and assess a check engine light? I mean, come on, it's like the it's like mechanic one hundred and one. I have never been to mechanic school, but I got to figure they, they teach you check engine light on day one. Plug it in, it throws codes, and you go from there. But that you have to like have the right machine because you have one of those big fancy Bentleys or whatever you're driving. And they don't have the Bentley the computer at the you know Jiffy Loop because you're cheap and you took to the Jiffy Loop. No, no, that wasn't that. That's not it. No, no. Yeah, they didn't have the right machinery at the Jiffy Loop or whatever. <laughs> it wasn't the Jiffy Loop. It was actually the Quickie Loop. Yeah, there you go. See, you're, you, what you were trying to do was avoid going to the dealership because you wanted to do it on the cheap, and now you're complaining that you weren't going on the cheap. You know what? I was absolutely trying to avoid going and getting gouged at the dealership. I was 100% trying to avoid that. Yeah. No, I know. I know what you're doing. I know what you're trying to pull there, old Mr. Smith. <laughs> you mean just, you know, being a smart consumer? Yeah, it worked out. I can tell. It worked out. <laughs> I mean, like, how much damage has been done to this vehicle? Because oh, they've just been flipping codes on you. They're just hitting the reset button. It's like the old Nintendo. Beep, just hit, oh, it's glitching up. Just hit. Re, just hold the Thanks button for, in. Thanks for rubbing it in on a Saturday morning. Yes. Guys. Now, one thing um, that we've all been kind of captivated by that you guys were talking about, and I know they were talking about it in the morning show with Chad and Mark yesterday as well, like, how on earth? And I don't want to make light of it. I am not making light of it. I am legitimately fascinated by it. But yep. this, this rinky-dink um, do-it-yourself kit to take a sub- down below, which apparently imploded into itself, uh, which was, you know, good a good and a bad thing, I guess. Apparently, um, for the people in that sub, um, your 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 thoughts on were you as fascinated with this thing as I was, like with the controller and all that stuff? I heard you guys talking about it yesterday. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's certainly a fascinating story. I've always been intrigued by the ocean, but I've always long believed that we really don't know much about the ocean. I mean, we could say we know things about the ocean, but we don't know much about the ocean. And I just, I I was more fascinated in the fact that somebody could understand the dangers of what deep sea travel entails and then bypass every safety regulation in the book. And then when you know, your head engineer or your head of safety or whoever it was comes out and says, hey, this isn't safe. You fire him. 
And then, you know, it, watching some of these interviews back of the uh, of the captain who, who passed away, you know, and just the cavalier nature with which he kind of spoke about some of this stuff. But, you know, I mean, you don't play with the ocean, Dan, and there's just some simple science behind it. And, you know, it's a horrible tragedy that probably never had to happen. And the fact that this company, did you see that there, there's a, all, they've already posted a job opening for a new submarine captain? Oh, my God. I swear. Wow. I swear, I can't believe that they're allowed to operate. I, I can't imagine that that will continue. They're going to go after them, I would think. And so we'll see what happens. You know what it reminds me of? The AI. You got to say it like that, too. You have to say the AI of the artificial intelligence. The guy that created it for Google has now quit and said, this is too dangerous. We yeah. shouldn't be doing this. It's going to be like Skynet. The Terminator is going to be running around, and I'm going to be saying I told you so as I jump in a bunker uh, five years from now. I don't know, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I am a big movie fan. I'm a cinephile. I've yes. seen iRobot with Will Smith. I understand the dangers. Do I think that we need artificial intelligence for everything? Not particularly. But if it were wielded by people who used it responsibly, it might be very, very interesting to see what would come from it. But we just know there's not too many responsible people left out there. Well, but the point is, what they're saying is, even though they're trying to do it responsibly, it's literally following the script from the Skynet, the Terminator movies. smarter than itself. It's going into areas that the responsible, well-meaning engineers had never intended it to do. Of course. And eventually, you're going to plug in your iPhone, and, you know, it's going to turn into a Transformer Autobot and going to take over everything. Wait till these sex robots get a hold of it. Then it's going to be a whole different story, Dan. Well, I know you're looking forward to that, so let's not. <laughs> let's take it easy. Let's take it easy. Now, one thing um, I was alluding to earlier about this. Uh, so James Merrillat goes out and, you know, his record of criticizing the Nuggets and Coach Malone was fairly consistent. I'm not going to go rehash all that because everybody knows. Yeah. The of, you do that every time James comes on. <laughs> that's, so that's right. Uh, but he, the amount of grief he has taken has been well documented. Uh, and one of those, you know, quote, receipts it gets posted every time he opens, you know, says something now is they, they post the tweet where he's like, enjoy your second round exit, right? Right, yeah. Well, lo and behold, I'm driving down the road yesterday because he mm. takes all the grief from that. And I'm listening to you. You're, you're saying hi to Colin Zanger behind the glass. And you're like, yeah, yeah. I, I end up having to pay him $50. Why? Because as a studied and learned analyst, as you are employed on the station, you yes, predicted sir. the doom in the second round of the Denver Nuggets. You also had no faith in them. You also were rooting against them. You were also betting financially against them. Um, the same as James Merrillad, and yet he gets all sorts of hate, and you get by, you skate by in a pass, Mr. Smith? Well, well, the difference is, is I own when I'm wrong, and I was absolutely wrong. If you don't, everybody, no one's perfect. You can be wrong sometimes. And look, based upon this team's history of con inconsistency and their injury history, I didn't think they'd have enough. But lo and behold, they proved, Dan, that they are among the NBA's best. They are at the mountaintop. And look, I was thrilled to be wrong, and, and I was wrong. There's no doubt about it. But it was, it was also something we hadn't seen before. It was Jamal Murray playing consistently on a night-to-night -night basis at such well, a high I, level I, in the playoffs I don't know about that. and not having a drop-off. It was Nikola Jokic being the best player in the world. And I think what's, what's funny about Nikola is he had this amazing season. But really, around January 1st, it started to take on a different life. And then the MVP discourse came on, and I felt like he kind of 
I don't know. He kind of went back into his shell a little bit. He didn't like all the negative attention, and I think it rattled his cage a little. But what we saw out of him in the playoffs was just absolutely historic. So when you can get those two type of performances from your best two players, you can win a championship. And when you look at statistically, Murray and Jokic are, for their careers, the largest playoff risers in NBA history. The two of them have the biggest point differential between uh, career averages, regular season, and playoffs. So if you play at that type of a level in the playoffs, then yeah, you can win a title. But the difference is, is they don't make it far enough typically, and when they have in the past, they've been injured. So the guys we see in the regular season are not actually the guys that we saw in the playoffs. And those guys we saw in the playoffs, they're damn good. Yeah, here's this would be a good question for you. Well, first off, just to finish that off, I just wonder if you have received an appropriate level of grief for your level of being wrong on the same issue as James has. Do you think you have, or do you think you've just kind of, you know, you know, I, but I, I'm more fair. I'm more fair, you know, so I think that I think there's a little bit of a difference there. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say that I, I received enough grief for it, for sure. Okay. I I, yeah. I don't know that. And look, I paid up for grief. it. I paid up for it. Yeah. Okay. I did hear an interesting thing. I don't think now my, well, let me, let me save my opinion because I don't want to color your answer. Not that you would care what I say anyway, Matt, but. Um, I, I always value your opinion. But let me get your opinion without me leading you down any sort of road. Um, Avalanche won a championship. Nazem Kadri yeah. was a huge part of that. Nuggets win a champion. He, he, they had a decision to make on him. They made the decision that they made. Bruce Brown, huge part of the championship. They now have a decision to make on him. They were making comparisons on some of the, uh, at least one of the programs on the station throughout the week. I have my own thoughts on it, but I want to get your thoughts on the comparison between Nazem Kadri leaving the Avalanche and potentially Bruce Brown. Um, are there any parallels there, and how strong are they? Yeah, I understand the comparison. Orlando threw it out, I think, a couple weeks when I was hosting with him. I disagreed with it at the time. I think Bruce Brown is more of a JT Comfort than he is a Nazem Kadri. Um, and there's a difference here in that the Avalanche, uh, excuse me, the Nuggets are are limited in what they can offer Bruce Brown. The Avalanche could have offered Nazem Kadri that contract if if they wanted to. They just didn't want to. Now, I think there is a parallel in the fact that with both Kadri and Bruce Brown, them leaving for the opportunity at generational wealth is one you can't really pass up because there's a big difference between a one-year $6 million contract and a four-year you know, $50 million contract or whatever Bruce Brown's about to sign. It, that, that's a significant difference. We're talking about security and stability. And, and for those guys, you know, they already got their rings. And, and while I think that from an organizational standpoint, you want to do what you, you know, what, what, you, what you can do in your power to be able to keep key pieces of a championship, championship team together, but both of those organizations are straddled by the regulations in place by the respective CBAs and salary caps in their sports. For the Avalanche, they have a hard cap, and they cannot spend a single penny above it. They also have a lot of high-priced young stars that needed extensions. They doled a lot of them out, but even Rantanen in two years is up for his next one. So you've got to be able to save money because those numbers will keep getting bigger. But for the Nuggets, you're dealing with a situation where Bruce Brown was your sixth man. You can have 
the appropriate value allocated there, which I felt like they did last year, about 6.8 for a backup point guard. But Bruce Brown was playing out of position, and they actually got more out of him than I think they ever anticipated. And certainly, while that's a good thing, I question whether or not the Nuggets' formula for success this year is sustainable. The, and when I say that, I mean Jokic and Murray played well over 40 minutes, you know, many, many different times in the playoffs. And the Nuggets were down to an eight-man rotation by the time they hit the postseason, which a lot of times was down to seven men. And I'm not sure that that is necessarily replicable moving forward as these guys continue to get older, considering their injury histories. However, with the landscape of the NBA and the new collective bargaining agreement, you have to be a lot smarter about how you build the back half of your roster. So if you're going to allocate that type of money to Bruce Brown, who's going to play at most 25 minutes in the playoffs, then I think it's questionable because you're already paying $100 million contracts to four guys in your starting lineup, including Michael Porter Jr., who really struggled in the finals outside of rebounding the basketball. And obviously we wanted to see the details from him, so that's a good sign. But he was a complete no-show offensively. And when you're paying that guy next year $33 million, it's tough to advocate to want to pay Bruce Brown a lot of money. And, Dan, they can't. They, they can only pay him up to a specific amount for the NBA rules. So that, that, that's my take on it. You know, I wish Bruce the best. I know he's a really good guy, and he was super valuable for them this year. But I do not think he is irreplaceable. Yeah, no, I don't think he's irreplaceable either. And I, I thought the comparison was um... – well, I just think Nazem Kadri, for example, is like until he got hurt that se- uh, season, he was like, wasn't he like the leading scorer in the league? Yeah, that's, exactly. <laughs> like I said, I think Bruce Brown is more of a JT Comper yeah. uh, uh, contemporary. So let's keep the comparison going, though. Now they each got their championship. They each have to make their adjustments. The Avs obviously had a rough run injury wise, rough run injury wise this year, but both of these teams are favored to win the championship and the respective leagues next season. If you were a betting man, and we know you are, Matt, uh, who would your money be on uh, to either the Nuggets to repeat or the Avalanche to get their second ring or second cup in uh, three years? It would probably be the Nuggets. The Avs made a move today I'm really not all that thrilled about, especially with what some of the projections are. So I would definitely say the Nuggets only because I just think in basketball, look, it's not easy to run it back. I don't think either team's going to win this next year. But with with basketball, when you have the best player in the world, you always have a chance, especially because there's just, you know, it's just the, the dynamics of the way it works. And I think the way the rest of the West is kind of scrambling to, to retool is, is maybe a little panicked. And I think some of these teams are over-leveraging. But the key is for Denver, they're going to have to stay healthy. I mean, Jokic, excuse me, uh, Murray and Porter, the fact that they made it through the playoffs healthy is a bit of a miracle in my opinion considering their history so Matt, let's see what they can do i swear to god i was on that two to six a.m shift with dmac and i brought this up and i couldn't even believe it schlereth was in on it dmac was in on it mike evans are in on it. I, I brought this drunk. up yeah they're all drunk they're all drunk i'm like it's not going to be as easy like you know yeah the injury histories and all that like you, you can't take this for granted and to a man all of them they were making these excuses i'm like well, what about football's different hockey's different blah blah i'm like what are you guys talking about I they were know. like no just can't just just do we even have to play the season next season just give them another ring just give them another one yeah yeah if if we learned one thing from the avalanche this last season it's that nothing is guaranteed 
and you can't you can't automatically think because I remember sitting at the War Room at Brothers Barbecue the the opening night of the Av season with Mike with Mike Evans and D Mac and Stoke and Zach and the last question was can the Avs run it back? And every one of us said, barring injury, yes. But I also included the caveat that they were going to have to make significant additions at the trade deadline to get that done, and we never got there. And then when they didn't do that, it was around the trade deadline that I said, okay, I understand what's going on. And, you know, I'm on record many times saying I think they botched it. And, you know, especially with the Matryoshkin situation and Landy never coming back, there was just, you know, no recourse. But it's not like Landis Scott's coming back this year. You know, who, who knows what type of state Natchushkin's in, first of all. And they, like I said, the Avs just made a move for Ryan Johansson out of out of Nashville, who a lot of people think is going to be their second-line center. And, Dan, <laughs> Dan, if that is their plan, I am more disappointed than I thought I could be with, with, with Chris McFarland. Because he's, he's not what they need. He's way past their prime. He's way past his prime. He's had one 20-goal season in the last eight years. He, he's he's the type of player that you could sell me being their third-line center. But at, at second-line center, Danny, he, he, he can't skate with this group. He's coming off a significant leg surgery, and he's over the age of 30. I, I just, you know, they gave up nothing for him, so from that perspective, it's okay. But at the very same time, they're eating into their cap space that they could have used to actually make an impact move. So to make this trade before you address your biggest needs, it's just backwards in roster construction. And and this is part of the reason why I've been raising a red flag and saying, guys, I am worried about what they're going to do. Based upon what we saw at the trade deadline where they tried to play money ball, here is yet another example of the Avalanche trying to play money ball. You cannot piecemeal together a legitimate contender with guys who are past their prime dealing with injury issues when you want to play at the Avalanche's tempo. It is just a fact. And, you know, I think they were already behind the eight ball with Landis God being out next year. So unless they were to make significant moves where they really landed a legit top six and second-line center and another, most likely another top six player, because not only do you have to replace Kadri still, which they never did, you got to now fill Landy's shoes. You need two legit top six players, and they just went and got an, an, an aging, you know, third line center at best, who's had one twenty goal season in the last eight years. This guy's best, and look, I mean, he, he's good in the faceoff circle, and so situationally, I think they'll use him appropriately. But this isn't the type of player that puts you over the top. And so for me, I, I, today I find myself quite disappointed with with the Avalanche. If they, speaking of disappointment, if they only get one ring, one cup, I'm sorry, I keep saying ring, one cup, one championship out of the, quote, core that we've been talking about for, I don't know, how long are we talking about the core, seven years? Um, a long time. How disappointing will that be for the organization? Mm, that's a great question. Because when you win a championship, it was all worth it no matter what. This is exactly what happened with the Cubs. The Cubs won in 2016 with a team full of young stars. And it just all fell apart because they didn't have their hands on the wheel. And so for me, as a Cubs fan, I'm okay with it because all I really ever wanted was a World Series. But is it disappointing that the entire you know, foundation of that team crumbled after that? Yeah. 
And for the Avalanche, you're talking about hey, and the difference is is baseball is different because because unless you're you know Shohei Otani or Mike Trout, I would I, I would venture to say that the player rankings as far as how good you are compared to the rest of the league vary more than any other sport. But for the NHL, it, it stays remotely the same. And to have McCarr and McKinnon and Miko and Devontae's and to be timid, like I look at the Tampa Bay Lightning at the trade deadline. They went out and added this kid, Tanner Janot, out of Nashville. They traded a first, second, third, fourth-round pick for him. Now, Janot was, was playing third-line minutes for the Predators, but Tampa, squarely in the middle of their championship window, aired out the tires and were as aggressive as they possibly could be to try and find somebody that was a good player who would fit the culture, and they wanted to give Stamkos and Kucherov and Vasilevsky and Victor Hedman the appropriate gesture and the appropriate help in saying, we appreciate the commitment that you guys have made to our organization and the contributions that you've had in three consecutive Stanley Cup appearances and as a result, we're going to go get you help. The Avs didn't do that at the deadline. I thought it was extremely disrespectful to Nathan McKinnon. I thought it was, and Miko Rantanen, for how much, for how hard those guys played not to get them more help. I thought it was just a dereliction of duty. And then to double it up here with this Johansson move, I just, like I said, I find myself disappointed. This, this isn't this isn't how you attack building a contender. It's trying to play money ball, and it's not going to get them anywhere, unfortunately. All right, Matt Smith, we appreciate you. We'll hear you tomorrow from 8 to 10 a.m., shall we not? I look forward to it, Dan. All right, thanks, Matt. If you guys want to react to Matt, your chance coming up next. Judge, jury, executioner. Okay, that got really dark fast. Now back to his honor, Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Thank you to Mr. Smith. By the way, we have a text for you, Matt. Dan, please remind Mr. Smith that the Avs built their cup team with Moneyball tactics, signing Nichushkin out of Russia for nothing, trading for Taves, Burkowski, and Lekanen as restricted free agents who were cost-controlled while having McKinnon on the best contract in the league and having Byram and Newhook on rookie deals. That's from Canadian Matty. There you go. I reminded him. Judge. Cheesecake Factory is your go-to for dinner, question mark, question mark. Save the drive and go to Applebee's where you live. It's the same thing. That's from Tony in Castle Rock. You know what's odd? We actually do not have an Applebee's. And I'm in, I'm in as a suburban, suburbia, burb town, burbville as it gets. There is not an Applebee's within, I don't even know, over in all... By Rangeview is probably, if it's even still there, way over in Iliff, I think, is the closest. It's probably 10, 15 miles from me. Do you have a Chili's? They're pretty much the same thing. Yeah, we have a Chili's. Okay, yeah. That's... We, <laughs> we have a Chili's. We have around the corner. We have a couple of those. We have uh, we have Red Lobster and Olive Garden. We have well, all... Those are in a different class than Chili's and uh, a higher Applebee's. Up. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine dining right there. Would you? Well, so, so if you go to Olive Garden, would you get the lasagna? Like, if you get the little triple platter thing? No, no, no lasagna. No, I don't do, I don't do restaurant lasagna. <laughs> you know, that was the Chili's is funny. So when I moved to Las Vegas to work at the Sports Fan Radio Network, we 
we didn't know what we were doing. I was 21, 22 years old. And we, we moved into a very, very bad part of North Las Vegas. Like, to the point my mom's just, when we pulled in, she just started crying. And she just said, let's go home. Let's just turn around. We'll go home. I'm like, Mom, it's going to be okay. But we were there for like three or four days. And, we did, and this was before, like, there was the Internet. But, you know, but this I don't think I, I didn't even have a cell phone. This is 2001. Um, so, you know, what we did was we, we picked up, you would dial 411 on your telephone. And we asked if there was a Chili's in town. Because then we would know if there was a nice place. So we, we finally found there was a Chili's in, I believe, Henderson, Nevada. So we knew that was the only way we knew that the entire city of Las Vegas wasn't just nasty. And I decided to stay based on the strength of there was a Chili's that my wife and I could go to. Yeah, I've never been to Las Vegas, but I don't think you had to say a bad part of Las Vegas. I think it's just, um, <laughs> you know, inferred when you talk about Las Vegas that it's going to be the bad part. No, no, I, I was no, I was in like a real like they were training pit bull puppies, uh, you know, shooting dominoes on the you know the electrical boxes. Like it was bad. So it was like a nice neighborhood. They have dog training. Yeah, exactly. Free dog training right there. Like dog That's fighting. Nice. Yeah. Oh, dog fighting. Uh, they were training pit bull puppies to dog fight. Gotcha. In the name, you know, while you're going to your car, you know. I thought you meant because I was like, that's kind of a nice thing in a suburban area to have a little dog training area. Dog fighting training, yes. Gotcha. Okay, Sorry. yeah, that's a little different. No, that was literally true. Uh, no, it was pretty scary. So then I moved to a less sketchy part of town. But rent was three fifty a month, three fifty for my own place, not even a roommate. And then I moved to a place that was four fifty, which was a little bit better. A little bit better. Hey, uh, Dante, I hope you're feeling better. I don't know if you're going to be riding with us tomorrow. Hopefully you suck it up. But uh, we'll see, see you tomorrow. Dante's uh, having a little rough patch with the old uh, Dan Marino special. So, uh, Dante, you did a great job. Miko, training behind the glass. I can't, I can't, I can't testify she's done a good job yet or not. We'll have to find out. Uh, thank you all for being a part of the program. We'll be back at it tomorrow with the easy, like, Sunday morning edition of the Dan Jacobs Show at 10 a.m. Hope to see you then. Taking your calls It's the Dan Jacobs show And he'll decide what the law will allow It's making your day The only way he knows how By giving you the facts Cutting through the BS now He's Judge Dan Jacobs He doesn't mean no harm